Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony, and I'm your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect with Jesus in practical ways. Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast. Matthew Reynolds is a chaplain and a friend of a friend, right? So Chaplain Charles Causey, who if you followed the show for a long time, you know is one of my spiritual fathers. He introduced me to Chaplain Reynolds, and we had a great conversation about his latest book. His latest book is a little different than what we normally talk about. It's sci-fi. It's sneaky Jesus. It's all about conviction and telling a story and the biblical truths that kind of seep its way through that. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And if you do, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And the highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you know loves a good fiction story. So now, without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Chaplain Matthew Runnels. Matthew Runnels, thank you so much for being here on the podcast with me today. It's such an honor to have you all the way from beautiful Hawaii. Well, thank you, Tony. It's it's really a privilege. It's all mine. It's a very humbling experience to be on here with you and just everything that you stand for and everything that your podcast uh, does. So it's, it's a great opportunity. Well, my podcast audience knows that I have a soft spot for chaplains and um, you're a chaplain. I'm wondering if you could do me a favor and kind of describe the calling that God has placed on your life, both in the chaplaincy and kind of from a bigger perspective in uh, the work that you're doing with writing. Sure. Well, you know, I love the American soldier. My father was in the army for 30 years. He served uh, for that for that time, all active duty. And so I was an army brat. So constantly moving, was able to see the world, actually lived in Panama for several years. So that was really, really exciting time as a child. And I did not really receive the call till I was uh, older in life. I, I couldn't sleep. And, and I, I appreciate sleep. You know, I, I was really wrestling <laughs> with what to do in my life. And I was uh, at the at the current time, I was about 27. I was a store manager in training. And oh, wow. it became a very quick reality for me that I, I really hope that God's purpose and plan was not to be folding clothes for the rest of my life. And I just prayed. I, I was really hesitant to go into ministry mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. And I just prayed. I said, God, please, you know, pave the way if this is, this is what you will for me and then make my heart willing to do it. And there were several, several confirmations the very next day that, Hey, that's the plan. And it wasn't until I graduated, I actually visited my sister. She was a warrant officer for the army. And I uh, was able to attend her warrant graduation at, at Fort Rucker. And I just thought, boom, army chaplain, that's it. And so kind of pursued that and was in the reserves for a time and then I went active duty. One of my deep passions in life has always been mentorship and discipleship and kind of navigating through the difference between the two. And being an army chaplain provides that opportunity of not just focusing on soldiers as far as a junior enlisted, but also leaders as well. And it's such a humbling experience to be used by God in this form and fashion as quite literally as the army, as the battalion chaplain, you're one of hundreds of soldiers, but you're the only one that's really set to be the moral compass. And so it's, it's very humbling. It's a very 
um, certainly difficult at times, being able to provide uh, not just biblical truths, but also that sound counsel to leaders and soldiers during the time of, of struggle and just being a sounding board for them. But then also through writing, I, I've always enjoyed writing and being able to connect with people and kind of creating a world mm. where individuals can uh, uh, navigate into and to, you know, kind of develop this world of seeking truth. Because uh, that's that's obviously a big portion of discipleship is being able to teach on truth and kind of uh, uh, progress through that. So, yeah. That's beautiful and very well said. One of the things that I heard you say in that answer is this idea about confirmations. Right? Right. You said the next day that you got several confirmations. I often think that there's somebody listening who is looking for a confirmation in their life. And they, they heard you say that and they want to go, man, that's not fair. How come he got one and I, I didn't get one. And, and so I'm, I'm just curious, how do you know when God is confirming something in your life? Yeah. What a great, uh, what a great uh, question. Uh, first and foremost, I think God knows our hearts, right? And we are reminded to cast our cares upon him as it's uh, described in first Peter. And importantly, Casting our cares to a God, I think, starts in the, in the place where at least hopefully God truly does care for us. Right. And so having that belief that though there may be multiple trials and struggles in our life, in the end of it all, God cares for us for a greater good, for a greater purpose. And it's his purpose. Right. And so in praying for confirmations, I think it's also really important to pray for a willing heart. Because God is going to provide confirmations, and it may not be the one that we want. Amen. <laughs> it may not be the one that we really want to walk through. And like I said earlier, I did not want to go into ministry. I did not want to be placed on a pedestal where people viewed me differently. Did not want to have that opportunity where if I make a mistake, oh, let's just fire this guy and get you know hire the next pastor or whatever. And so I was worldly fearful of that. And so when, with praying for confirmations and praying for a willing heart, it's accepting the same thing that Jesus had to accept. Hey, remove this cup from me, but let your will be done. And I think that's the vital part. The other reality is to be cautious in praying for signs. Because with praying for a willing heart, it protects us to not just look for things that say, oh, is this a sign from God? Is this a sign from God? Because we can almost be cautious in making a choice, right? Mm. And saying, okay, if that's a confirmation from God, then let me walk through it. So in my case, it was utterly clear, right? So with ministry, getting a formal education is expensive. I already had a job that allowed me to advance in kind of a professional growth and customer service uh, uh, abilities. And the very next day, the management program was willing to offer me a store where I would be the, the senior store manager and then be able to pay for my uh, education out of pocket, not taking any loans, not taking wow. any tuition assistance from the army. So, you know, that to me was a confirmation. Was there a little bit of doubt? Sure. But also Luke in the gospel of Luke says, you know, listen, you got to put your hands to the plow and not look back. And so my encouragement to anyone who is, seeking what to do. And, and, you know, as you pointed out, confirmations, put your hand to the plow and not look back. Once you make a choice, 
have the belief that if God is sovereign, he's going to be present and uh, be able to walk through faith. So I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> no, that's great. I, I love that. And I love the reference to that Luke verse. I just, um, I, I, the Lord was just talking to me about that verse recently. So that's a, uh, that's, I think a very timely word. Right. Um, that's true. One of the things that you've done is you've put your hand to the plow of writing and decided to not look back and you've got this brand new resource out. It's, it's, it's kind of um, it's what I would call sneaky Jesus, right? Because it's not overtly uh, Christian, but it's definitely an ode to Christ. And it's called uh, Lapidius, and I, I'm curious if you could kind of give us how did this? First of all, what does that title mean, and yeah. how was this born in your heart? Right, sure. Uh, Lapidius is a pretty much a Latin word. It's a rough translation for stone or stone cutter. And so I actually began writing this book 20 years ago. Oh, wow. And I just, I was sitting in church listening to our choir sing a song. And I, you know, call it a vision, call it whatever you want. But I saw this image in my head being played out. And I'm as ADD as a chicken. And, you know, what's very common for me is I can visualize things very well. I can learn from that kind of point of view. And so I knew that this was an ending to an epic tale. Now I just have to build the foundation and, and, you know, leading up to the ending. And so it took me years of writing and that was really kind of filled with fear and doubt. You know, one thing that's very typical with authors, especially self self published ones is, is anybody going to read it? Like, is this going to amount to anything? (laughs) And, you know, I just started writing, writing, and it wasn't until recently where, you know, I, I just kind of called out the fear and just said, hey, if this is what God has called me to do, let me just do it and send it out with no regrets and and be done with it. You know, if you don't do things like that, it's always going to be those things or that, or that kind of presence that's in the back of your mind just calling, gnawing away at you. And so Lapidius is the name of a school. Mm-hmm. So within this, this, within this world of Novian uh, Novian Albanen, which is again a rough translation from Latin called New Britain, that there's an immense amount of social unrest, that there's these two factions, two political parties called the Embers, who want to more or less change the direction of the country and the stone seekers. So, in the midst of, of both the political uh, factions, there are the monuments, and the monuments are really the cultural center and the identity of the people. And so both uh, political entities are wanting to use the monuments, the embers for their own selfish uh, greed, to be able to control the people and to kind of control how they think, and the stone seekers to be able to live with hope and to live with identity. And so Mm. the the, uh, setting of the book is at the school, which again is called Lapidius, and it's focused on four friends. These are mo- uh, mostly teenagers who are sent by their parents. Imagine that parents sending their, their kids to school to this place where they discover a whole new world of truth and personal identity. And so they grow in friendships and the school itself kind of has a unique perspective and a, a unique uh, thing called the game. I'm an avid paintballer. It's a yeah. great stress release as I used to use it for marriage counseling, by the way, put the couples in opposite teams. It's awesome. <laughs> but 
the game is more or less a paintball match. And so there's units that are formed and, and these, these kids kind of learn a whole new uh, capabilities of their own life. Uh, the, the society and culture was kind of fading away from a robust identity of people progressing with hope, with values. It was a, a society based on merit and being able to work and, and, and encouraging the growth of society and culture. The embers was more or less stealing that away. And so people began to live within the means of what, what, you know, the experts more or less were telling them what they could accomplish. And so these children were realizing, oh my goodness, I can do much more. And so they were really wrestling with what truth they were going to follow of being able to kind of do as they were simply told this mindless life or wrestling with the idea of what does it mean to have inherent worth, but then also be submissive to a greater good, a greater set of ideals. And so that's the premise of uh, Lepidius. There's an unfortunate civil war that breaks out. And again, the kids get involved in it and then they kind of battle through this, uh, through this fight of truth. Uh, it's it's really obvious to see some of the parallels that you're making to scripture, and, and we'll jump into some of that in a little bit. Uh, I I do want to learn a, from you on 20 years of writing one story, <laughs> right? And I, and I I don't mean that kind of I don't mean that playfully. Like I'm I'm being serious, right? What what that that kind of long term commitment to a vision that God has given you that kind of long term idea, right? Like most people don't stick around. <laughs> um, to see God's vision yeah. played out 20 years later. How, how did you find or what kind of what is the secret that you found to having drive to be obedient to God that lasts two decades? Yeah, wow. Um, a lot of times it was begrudgingly, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, again, when you have something ingrained in you, you either bang your head against it and you kind of know that there's a truth, know that there's something out there that you can accomplish or that you've called, been called to do, a purpose, a calling, if you will. And then again, um, I, even, even as a kid, I struggled with doubt. I struggled. Mm. I had bits of fighting with depression. I was morbidly obese at one time. I was 300 pounds struggled with cutting. And so again, internally, I struggled with that as well. Hmm. This idea of uh, inherent worth made in the image of God. And yet knowing all my wrongs, there's no way that I can create this work. And it was really this constant casting of cares, casting of cares, being prayerful. Okay, God, if you, if you really call me to do this, then, then give me the words, give me the ability. Um, because again, as a self-published individual, th- the world of writing, the world of book uh, publishing is, is completely foreign. It's like, I don't know, I just got published it and, and whatever's going to happen, right? <laughs> but um, it was a constant struggle at times. Importantly, what actually developed was as I matured in my own perspective – my writing also changed and and some of the things 
that happened in the book was starting to happen in society. And so that actually became an issue with my, and I don't say issue in a negative way, but issue with uh, some of the people that was giving me feedback. And I did have some, some professional uh, help with the book that they said, listen, if you write a sci-fi fantasy world, it can't be a parallel universe. And so we had to, to change some of the context or else it's no longer a fantasy world if it's simply parallel. And so it was really interesting to see. And, and part of that was a regret that I had to wrestle with and, and work through forgiveness is, man, God has given me so much time to write this. And in many ways, I was not faithful for it, mm. that I prolonged it, prolonged it, prolonged it. And, you know, you know, thanks be to God that he's the God of grace and mercy. Right. And he's very patient with our own ignorance. And so I had to wrestle with that internally, that, man, God has given me this calling. Who knows? Right. It, it's kind of pointless to kind of wrestle with. Well, what would be the impact of the book or on society if it was you know, released 10 years ago or 15 years ago? That's kind of a, a, a pointless question at this point. But the reality is. When God does give us a calling, when he does give us a passion, we should be mindful and prayerful that to seek it out and to build a community of support around you that gets you through that journey to that destination that you want. And um, and I think that that's vital. I think that that was key and essential for me is that I did not have that community at times. In some ways, I was almost ashamed because, you know, when you publish a book, people kind of look at you differently. Oh, you've you've made it. You know, like you've done something great. And it's like, man, you have no idea how hard this was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was kind of um, doubtful of that um, position and being used by God. And my, I guess my number one com- uh, perspective now at this end for anyone who's listening is that if you truly feel that God has called you walk that calling and build that positive community of support that will, that will get you to that destination that God has called you to. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation to remind you to go check out our brand new website over at follow the number two lead coaching.com follow the number two lead coaching.com. There's a whole um, kind of, array of different products that we're offering there, including group and individual coaching, marriage coaching, and so much more. It's a, a way that we can continue to grow, help people grow spiritually while coaching them in whatever they may be facing in life and in business. If you're uh, an executive in the world today and you want to live out your Christian faith, this is a great place to start. So again, check it out. Follow to leadcoaching.com. One of the beautiful things about the book and is that it does create this whole other world that's going to clearly have more parts to it, right? You're not done writing. It's um, that's pretty obvious. Um, I I'm curious about the creative um, process for you because I I can imagine that writing an entire world is both uh, taxing, exciting, and also like, you really got to be sure that you don't step on your own toes right. along the way because you created the the embers and the stone carriers, right? And and uh, and so you they're not allowed to contradict each other. How, how do you? How did you kind of 
Um, keep all that straight in your head. Talk to me about the creative process because God's a creator. And I think, I think a lot of people don't necessarily feel like they're creative and yet here you are, you created a a world. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I I think again, doing some research and, and allowing yourself to be creative, allowing yourself to be fun and thinking, you know, it, it, being a parent kind of gave me a whole new perspective. So my wife and I, we've been married for seven years, and uh, we have three beautiful children. The oldest is about to turn five, and then there's – so there's a five-year-old, two-year-old, and then a six-month-old. So lots You're of in it. And uh, it makes me feel young and old at the exact same time. But <laughs> um, it just reminded me, like, the world is fun and I want my children to live in the playground that God has created, which is his creation. And one of the things that really drove me to writing this book and I guess building that world is constantly being curious. Hmm. You know, one of the trademarks of negative people of just chronically negative people is they're know-it-all. They're, they're no longer curious. There's no longer a sense of wonder. And so looking at God and having that perspective that as you correctly, you know, uh, um, annotated, he is a creator of God and he created all of us in his image, this beautiful display of a majestic uh, being, right? God himself created all of us in such diversity, but not just us, his world. Hmm. And being invested in it and looking out and seeing it almost with new eyes every day is something that um, that, that has always been very key to my life. And, and uh, you know, being part of the world, being part of community and having experiences with other people that I may never have. And, and, and you know, thankfully, the Army does that for you. Right. Like the Army is the most diverse uh, uh, place to work at. And so you kind of get these get these um, uh, interactions with people that you normally wouldn't. But, you know, for me, again, I'm ADD, right? So if I can't visualize it, I'm not going to write about it. And then how to bridge that gap of visually seeing the world and then putting it on paper is constantly rereading, rewriting, and then not doubting, getting to that point where you're like, okay, enough is enough. If they don't get it, then, then, then I'm not the writer for them, I guess. But, <laughs> but you know, just just being being willing to to be creative and and be fun. You know, I we're telling our daughter right now. Listen, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. And being comfortable with that, I think that's a state of humility, right? Being able to laugh at yourself, and then being able to read the words and and you know trying to illuminate the creativity of God through a fictional story is something that others have done, right? So C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, there's been plenty of other great, much greater writers than I being able to display in world casting and, you know, seeking, seeking uh, kind of a better understanding of how to do it through, through others is also a key point too. So. Yeah. I want to talk a little about, um, the book in the sense of it's what I call sneaky Jesus. You know, it's not overtly Christian. You're not really uh, lifting off a bunch of scripture, but yet at the same time, it's very clearly pointed towards um, the kingdom of God, right? I, I think the term for that is allegorical, where it's, 
you know, it's pushing people to see a different picture of the world, a Jesus picture versus others. How, how did you make the decision to, to go this direction with this book rather than just be like, be overtly, hey, this is what John 3.16 says, you know, in using one of the characters in the book. And I'm, I'm, I, I think you chose the right way, but I just wanted to kind of give the contrast sure. for, for the listener. What, what do you think, what was the prompting decision to go this direction? Sneaky Jesus. Yeah, sneaky. Um, I, I would say first and foremost, it's uh, it was you know I worked for uh, youth ministry for 15 years. Whether it was being a coach of a sports team or being you know the the official youth pastor of a church or something. And my experience with kids have been yes, they're curious to find the truth. Okay, everybody wants to be taught. There isn't anything more frustrating than being told this is what you should be doing. But feeling like you've never been taught or you you don't have the tools to get to that point, right? And so being, you know, um, invested in youth and especially older youth, the, the younger soldiers in the military, which is a revolving door, right? Like this, yeah. Like me as an individual soldier, I get older, but there's always going to be the private. There's always going to be that new batch. And so to understand how the mind learns – Yes, there's the aspect of you need to mentally challenge people, right? But then also keep them mentally curious. Mm. And so being able to have the truth that's there and believing in myself, like me believing that if Jesus says it's the truth that's going to set you free, I don't have to be overtly about it. It's going to come out. And one of my favorite parts is a conversation between Aldred, who is a commander, and Chase, who I'm not going to give any spoilers with their relationship in, 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 uh, later in the book, but Aldred asks Chase, who's, who's a very young cadet, why do you walk the path that's, that everyone else walks on? And Chase responds, what other path is there? Mm. And so to have that, have that understanding that you and I as a believer might know who Jesus is, we might know the truth. But there's a whole world of people that have no clue who Jesus is. And yet God has written his truth on his heart. So it's present. You just kind of have to gnaw at it a little bit. You just kind of have to knock on it. And I think that's what builds that natural curiosity for anyone who's seeking the answers to life. Right. Mm -hmm. Those questions are already there in them. And so creating a story where you present the characters seeking out that truth, seeking out and kind of discovering that for themselves or being pointed to it in a subtle way is, is one of the biggest reasons why I did that. Now, there's countless times when Jesus was very black and white, but even with Nicodemus, he used metaphors, right? So he was a learned man. And Jesus called him out for that. If you can't understand, you know, a, a worldly metaphor, how, how are you going to understand other things? And so to be present in those metaphors and to be present in those parables, if you will, and hopefully present the book as a bigger overarching parable, if you will, of individuals finding truth. And again, this idea that you have inherent worth. And then how do you wrestle that construct with being part of something and serving others? So that's a uh, beautifully stated. I, I'm curious um, 
The book has kind of been out now for a little bit as we record this podcast. It continues to kind of uh, get out into the world and more and more people get their hands on it. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself in the process of seeing 20 years of your heart and soul leak out into the world? Yeah. You know, something that I would always tell my youth students and the soldiers is that the easiest thing to do in life is to make an impact. You're either going to be, it's, it's either going to be a positive one or a negative one. Time will tell. But if you're faithful in the little things, God's going to entrust you with the larger things. And I, I am not under some sort of guise or, or presupposition that this book is going to be famous one day. But it also doesn't need to be, right? And so I've had several conversations with people of, wow, I cried at this part. You know, this part really encouraged me. This part motivated me. And so if, if I view my work whether as a chaplain or as an author, that it's all based on my talents and gains. I'm willing to put forth this amount of work for the gains received. If I have that perspective, I'm going to go bankrupt putting advertisements out there, you know, always pushing the book, always pushing the book. But if I view work as something that is a calling, that I'm trying to contribute to something much larger than myself. Mm. I'm going to be more willing to do it, more willing to enter that space with people. And so there's a lot of individuals who want to write books. There's a lot of individuals who want to do podcasts and invest in hobbies and to do other things, but they're hesitant. And so I think that's been the greatest thing for me that I've been able to do is be an encouragement to others. Hey, do it. What are you waiting for? Do it. You know, certainly you have to gain some education, some insight so that you can do it well, because we're supposed to do all things well to God's glory. But then also it's not on us. It's not completely on us. We just have to be faithful to it. And so I think that's been the biggest thing. You know, I'm sure this this might be kind of close to to home with you and and perhaps some of some of uh, those that will be listening to this. I have difficulty listening to my own advice. Hmm. And, you know, I will have numerous counseling sessions in a day and then yet need to hear the same words. Right. And so reminding myself that God can make an impact through me uh, and, yeah. and simply be willing to do that is um, is, of course, humbling. But it's so encouraging when you see God's fruit, not not our own fruit, but God's work. And God's fruit from it all. So, really well said. I have a, one more question for you, um, but before I ask it, I know that my listeners are going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where's the best thing to learn all things Matthew? Oh man, all things Matthew. Uh, hey, uh, send me a friend request on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have a small Facebook page. Um, it's uh, a Nation Found. So. The overall uh, title of the book series is A Nation Found. This is book one, Lepidius. And again, Lepidius is the name of the school. We named it that because the central setting is at the school itself. So uh, I gave it the title A Nation Found because that's what I want people to do. I I want individuals to find a nation that's so new to them, that's so foreign to them, and 
again, grow in that curiosity and grow in that wonder and live with hope uh, that you have a, a, um, a great inherent worth about you. So we do have a, a small Facebook um, Facebook page for the book. It's called A Nation Found uh, Young Young Adult. Um, so people can obviously search it that way. There is a group of us chaplains who are wanting to put together a podcast, see a a series called the salty chaplains. So, um, you know, we'll be able to push that information out to you as well, but Facebook is the number one thing. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. I ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice. And I want to take you all the way back to that day in church 20 years ago when you first knew that God put this thing on your heart. If you could go back and uh, sit knee to knee with that younger version of yourself, look them in the eye, what's the one thing that you're going to tell them? Man, what's the one thing? Wow. Personally, I think the one thing would have to be Simply believe that it's going to happen. Hmm. Simply believe. Um, we we live in a world right now where there's a crisis of meaning and purpose, and within that crisis, it's it's a doubt of truth. What what is true these days? What can we bank on? You know, in, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about hope being the anchor to our soul. And if we forget what's true, anxiety increases, purpose decreases, we're filled with doubt. Hmm. And I think what I would just encourage a younger me, um, simply believe, simply believe that it's going to happen and put your hand to the plow. Uh, and so I think that that would be it. Uh, okay, bonus question. How is it going with book number two? It's going well. It's going well. So the ending of book one, uh, when I originally wrote it, actually was different after going through you know some professional guidance. And, and, and so it kind of challenged me, oh, book two is going to be different from what I thought, but in a good way. So uh-huh. it's going well. So there's actually three stories all in one. Uh, happening because of how book one ends. There's three separate accounts that eventually merge all together. So uh, it's going well. It's challenging me in different ways, right? And again, we've had a third child. So it's uh, how, <laughs> so you how, have how no do I squeeze this in between that time? So. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, one more bonus question that I, wow, okay. I wanted to ask that um, – how can the my podcast family loves to pray? Um, what should we be praying for the young American soldier that you interact with on a regular basis? Mm. Like, what's the what's the prayer request as you see it for um, some of the nation's? Uh, yeah, you know, honestly, that is yeah. No, I, that is such a vital, vital question, um, and it's uh, for me personally, it's an easy one to answer. Pray that they will have a conviction to be part of the community of God. Hmm. Um, The reason why I say that is because there's a recent article, I think the Wall Street Journal uh, pushed it out, that a couple years ago, you know, a quarter quarter of Americans believed 
in, in God. And now only a third. So um, it increased the number of people, the number of individuals that believe in God has increased, yet the average church attendance has decreased. There's nothing I think that would make Satan, our adversary, the devil, more happier with people who believe in God and yet not part of the community of God. Wow. And I will tell you the isolation that younger soldiers have these days is paramount. Whether it's through all the social distancing that, that happened through COVID and just lacking those skills, uh, perhaps it's because I live in Hawaii and they're naturally so far away from home, but people live very isolated lives. And so to stir in the younger soldier to have the desire and want to be part of the community of, of God and for the community of God to seek and pray for the welfare that they've been placed in, you know, the yeah. city. My favorite verse, my lifelong calling verse is Jeremiah 29.4. Well, you know, everybody knows Jeremiah 29.11, right? This is the purpose. This is the plan. And it's a great future and hope. However, before that, God tells his people who were already in Exodus, uh, uh, already in Babylon, build houses, plant gardens, seek and pray for the welfare of the city to which I've I placed you in. And as a church, we have to do that. So that would be my number one prayer request is pray for the younger soldiers to have a strong desire for community. Amen. Amen. Matthew, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to connect today, for telling your story and putting uh, good, good uh, fiction, fun things to read out on the internet. And and listeners, I'm just going to tell you that if, if you, um, if you care about the kind of material that our kids are going to be consuming, um, go out and support Matthew's book. Pick up a copy today, Amazon.com. I'll link to it in the show notes and uh, and support what God is doing through this incredible soldier. So, Matthew, thank you so much for your time today and your generosity. Hey, thank you so much. I uh, truly appreciate it. Thank you. What a fantastic conversation with Matthew. I really appreciate his heart. I love the way he talked about being constantly being curious about the idea of simply believe and how to pray for conviction in our communities. Such a great storyteller, and I have no doubt this will not be the last time we hear from him, as I suspect he will continue his writing journey. Guys, I'm so thankful for each and every one of you for the opportunity that you give us here to continue to do what we love by listening and sharing this podcast with a friend. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.